welcome. My name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. 2 Samuel, the book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 12. The book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 12. We are continuing with the life and ministry of David. And through this, as we see that he has become king, we have unfortunately watched him as he had his sin with Bathsheba. When it was found out that that one night stand was going to be made public as she was now expecting with child, David went and instead of confessing his sin, tried to hide his sin and tried to have a cover-up. He brought in Uriah the Hittite and challenged him and encouraged him, conjoled him, and even tried to trick him to go home and spend a night with his wife to try to cover and pass the blame, to try to cover up the sin. However, Uriah, because of his faithfulness and his loyalty and his integrity, refused to leave his post and refused to take the night of ease. And so therefore, David had him killed. David has been living with this secret for nine months. For nine months... He's been trying to play off like everything is all right. Do you know that there are people who have committed sin, that God is convicting them, but they could try to look like they're all right? They could sit there and smile. They could show up and do their duties. They could pretend they're right with God, and they are not. Finally, the child is born. And you would think this would be a happy time. But it is then that God sends the preacher to deliver a message to David. And we find this incident recorded for us in the book of 2 Samuel in chapter number 12. The book of 2 Samuel in chapter 12. And notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 1. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought up and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and his children, and did eat of his own meat, and drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler, Unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress it for the wayfaring man that was come unto him. But he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have moreover have given unto thee such and such things." Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do this evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, 
and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And Nathan, or David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth. But he would not, for neither did he eat bread with him. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and we knew, and he would not hearken to our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him the child is dead? But when David saw his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he came to his own house and when he required, they set bread before him and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, what thing is this that thou hast done? Thou did fast and weep for the child and while it was alive, but yet, but when the child was dead, thou didst rise and eat bread. And he said, while the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, for I said, who can tell whether God would be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. And she bare a son, and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a name that is found earlier in this chapter, 2 Samuel chapter number 12, 2 Samuel chapter 12, and notice in verse number 4, notice the, the word, a traveler, a traveler. And with the Lord's help, I want to preach a message about the traveler, the traveler. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, we're just asking that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us understanding, that you would help us now. And especially with the practical application at the end of this message, that this is something to help every single one of us. Lord, I'm asking that you give us discernment, give us wisdom, help us to realize how awful sin is and to be conscious that all sin has consequences. Even the things that we think we get away with, all sin has consequences and that you would help us to avoid sin. Lord, give us much grace. Give us ears to hear. Give people the ears to hear. Help them to have the heart. Let them be spirit-filled listeners as I need to be a spirit-filled speaker. Do something. Maybe something tonight can prevent, protect, keep people from sin. Lord, we love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we begin with this, we start off with the parable of the traveler. The parable of the traveler. It starts off with Nathan the prophet was sent to go talk to David. The baby has already been born. The deeds have already been done. David's been living with this and he was not going to get right. He was not going to get this fixed. And so God sent his preacher to come with a message and to point his bony finger in David's face to say, Thou art the man. He came and delivered this message unto <coughs> unto David. And this is the message, the parable of the traveler. What this story is, is that he records that in one city, there's a rich man and there's a poor man. 
Now the rich man had exceedingly many flocks. He had many herds. He had all the animals that he wanted. He had plenty. But the poor man, he had a very special little lamb, a little ewe lamb, which is a little baby lamb. And this baby lamb wasn't just part of the flock. He was a part of the family. This little lamb was so special to that poor man that when they, they ate together, they drank together. So they would have the little cup and when they would have a family meal, the little lamb would eat with them and drink with them. That the little lamb would cuddle on the, the poor man's lap and they would pet that little lamb. And it was just a part of the family. The whole family loved that family pet. It was so precious. It was so important. It was so greatly necessary. And that it grew up with his children. It, it was just like it was his own daughter. It was just that much a part of the family. But then a traveler came and visited the rich man. And the rich man wanted to satisfy the traveler. And so instead of taking from his own flocks, which he had plenty, and taking from his own herds, which he had plenty, he took that little ewe lamb from the poor man, the one that was just like his own family member, and forcibly took it from that poor man. And took that little ewe lamb that was just as much as the family and cooked him up and ate him gone. That was it. It was gone. David hears this and he's upset. Wouldn't you be upset to hear about this story? And it's not just a story. It really happened. Nathan is preaching this, not saying, hey, let me tell you about a story. He's preaching this as if it's a true event. And by the way, it is a true event. And David's upset Notice the decree he gives in verse number 5. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. If you would have pointed to David and said, David, that's the guy over there. David would have ordered his execution right then and there. He was that upset. In addition, verse number 6, he says, Wait, wait, before we put him to death... He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And that rich man didn't care about that poor man. He didn't care at all that he was part of his family. He just snatched him for his own purposes, took him, ate him, satisfied the traveler, left that guy without all of that, killed it. It's gone and over with. He says that he needs to be repaid fourfold, not just onefold, four times that needs to be repaid. And so we have the parable of the traveler. David's upset. Now that Nathan has David's attention, we see this, the message of Nathan. The message of Nathan. Nathan puts that old bony finger, points it right at David and said, thou art the man. It is you, David, who did this thing. Verse number seven. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's wife. And God goes on and says, I've done all these things for you. And if you needed anything else, just ask me and I would have gave it to you. You didn't have to go take something from another person. You could have just asked me and I would have given you anything that you needed. But instead you took it. But notice in verse number 9, as God is having Nathan deliver this message, that bony finger pointing right at David. And it says, Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Notice what he told David. He said, you despise the commandment of the Lord. You hated God's commandment. You didn't want God to tell you what to do. In fact, it goes on again. And it says that, he, <laughs> that David had despised God because of this. Verse number 10. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thy house because thou hast despised me. Do you understand all sin is against God? All sin is against God. 
All sin is against God. And God takes it personally. Because it's a slap to God's face. Do you understand? As Christians, we are freed from the power of sin. We no longer have to sin. So anytime that we sin, it's because we chose to. And it was an affront to God. Meaning that God said, you don't have to sin. What are you doing? And it's almost like you're standing at the foot of the cross. The, the mud has been made from the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's almost like God saying, what are you doing? You don't have to do this. And us reaching down, grabbing that mud made from the blood of Jesus and slapping him across the face. That's how much of a front it is to sin as a Christian. It's how much of an insult it is. It's how much we despise God. It doesn't matter what sin it is. Gossip is a slap to God. Murmuring and complaining is a slap to God. Pornography is a slap to God. Lying is a slap to God. You understand all sin that a Christian does we do and God says this we despise him at that moment when we sin it is against the vision of God that we have it's against God's character sin is so awful and you can't underscore it you can't bold it enough you say, aren't you exaggerating? I am not. In fact, I can't put enough emphasis on it. How awful sin is in the face of God. You understand, your little pet lie that you've been carrying on for a while, it's an insult to God. Those times that you've disobeyed your parents and thought you got away with it, it's an insult to God. The time that you were purposely disobedient to biblical authority and said, I know better, I could do my own thing. It's an insult to God. God said, because thou hast despised me. All sin is against God. Now David's is even worse because he's a public figure. Who hasn't heard of David? David was God's champion. David was the man that God used to slay Goliath. David was the one who wrote the Psalms. David is the one that everyone associates with godliness. And by the way, we do that today. When you think of David, you think of David, the sweetest psalmist of all of Israel. But because of his sin... Notice what God had said in verse 14. Howbeit because this deed has been given, because by this deed thou has, been, has given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. All of God's enemies say, oh, that's what a Christian looks like. Ha, see, look how horrible that is. Christians are nothing more than sinners. And by the way, we are. But God saved us so we didn't have to. And David's a public figure. God cannot allow this to go on unpunished. He cannot allow it to go on unquestioned. It has to be taken care of. And it has to be taken care of in a very public way. Remember what David said before in response to that man. He said, that man shall surely die. And, and he needs to be paid back fourfold. Well, because David immediately repented, and he did. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse 13. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Let me tell you this. Things would have been completely different if David tried to hide it. If David tried to excuse it. If David tried to justify it. Notice how he took rebuke. You can learn a lot from a person by how they took rebuke. When the preacher put his bony finger on David's face and said, Thou art the man, David said, I sinned. I messed up. You understand we would all do good to say, 
it was me. I messed up. Because of that, because of that, David, God said, you're not going to die. You're pardoned from that. In fact, he uses that word in verse number <coughs> uh, 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also, because of that, hath put away thy sin. Thou shall not die. If David was to make excuses, he didn't realize at that moment, this was, this was life and death. The next, his response. And because he admitted, I messed up, God said, all right, I'm not going to put you to death. I put your sin away. We were forgiven that. However, consequences will remain. Remember, David pronounced judgment, and there's going to be a fourfold judgment. And the very first judgment that happens is going to be the death of the child. That's number one. Three more deaths are going to occur inside of David's family because of David's sin. God made a promise <laughs> that, uh, verse number nine, Wherefore thou hast despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in thy sight. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore, so because of that, the sword shall never, never depart from thy house. Because of what happened, David sinned with Bathsheba, caused the death of Uriah. We have the confrontation of Nathan, which is going to prompt the writing of Psalm 51. But then we're, the fourfold judgment is ordered now. And the very first one is the death of the child. Which is the third thing I bring up to this. The death of the child. The death of the child. As soon as Nathan departed, he said, because of this, the child that was just born... It's going to die. It's part of consequences for sin. There's always consequences for sin. And by the way, your sin has consequences not just for yourself, but for others. For others. They are bearing the consequences of other people's sin. This child is affected. Now David, because he believed in God, because he trusted in prayer, he went and fasted for seven days. He lay down on the ground for seven days. His servants tried to get him up. He said, no, leave me alone. He wept. He prayed. He begged God. Please, God, spare my son. Please, God, spare my son. Please, God, spare my son. He prayed like he never prayed before. But on the seventh day, that child died. Well, his servants had watched David weep and cry. They watched him as he wailed and begged God. And they said, oh, man. Who's going to go tell David that the child's dead? I don't want to do that. I mean, we, we watched him as he wailed and cried. How's he going to react to that bad news? They're expecting him to respond poorly. And so no one wants to tell him the news. But David heard the whispering and he says, the child's dead, isn't he? And they all nodded his head. And they watched in amazement as David dusted himself off. And he went, changed clothes, took a shower, got clean. Went down to the altar and he worshipped God. He just found out that his child died. And the first thing he does is worship God. And then he goes to his own house. And he eats. And his servants are all scratching his head and said, You're not responding like normal people. Normal people would be wailing and crying and carrying on. Normal people would be throwing a fit and mourning and loss. And David said, No, no, no. While the child was alive, I begged and pleaded for God's life because who knows, God may have repented, changed his mind. He may have spared the son. But now that the child's gone, my prayers, there's no use of praying. He's already gone. God's not going to allow that child to come back. But he noticed with great faith, verse number 22. And he said, while the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether God would be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Notice this. I shall go to him, but he should not return to me. You see, with great faith, David is pronouncing where his child is. Where is David going when he dies? He's going to go be with the Lord. So when he dies, he's also expecting his child to be with the Lord as well. Isn't that great hope? That David said, I have hope. I'm going to see my child again when I'm with the Lord. I'm going to see him again. I don't have to rejoice. I know where he's at. He said, he's not lost. 
I know exactly where he's at. I don't have to weep and cry wondering where my child is. He's with the Lord. He can't come back to me. One day I'll be with him. And so we could see the death of the child. Now we've zoomed past all of this to bring to a point here. And that is the identity of the traveler. The identity of the traveler. And the reason why I say this is because of the study of parables. There is a difference between New Testament parables and Old Testament parables. In the New Testament, when parables are done, you could summarize them like this. They are an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. When a New Testament gives a parable, there is one thing that is trying to get across. Meaning that when they tell the story, they're trying to get a principle across. Trying to get one principle across. In the Old Testament, when a parable is given, each item is given a specific identity. Meaning that each item means something and is a picture of something that is put together. This is a difference between New Testament and Old Testament parables. It's one of the reasons why when Jesus told a parable that people said, no man taught, uh, taught like this guy. Meaning that he's not teaching a parable like they did in the Old Testament. There's something different about the way he taught. And that's because there is a difference between New Testament parables and Old Testament parables. So if in the Old Testament parables, every person had an identity, then we need to identify them. We start off with the rich man. The rich man was clearly identified as David. Nathan made that clear and he said, thou art the man. He also made the identity of the poor man very clear. That was Uriah. Uriah was the poor man. And David had snatched the ewe lamb out of his hands. So who was the ewe lamb? Well, that would be Bathsheba. He was the lamb that was snatched out of Uriah's hands. So each of those people were involved. But if you remember that parable, in verse number four, it said, And there came a traveler. There came a traveler to the rich man. Remember that Old Testament parables, every per person in a parable, every item has an identification. So who in the world, what in the world is the traveler? What is this thing that came to David and convinced David to go take of Bathsheba? What is this in this story here where the traveler came and convinced the rich man to go take someone else's to satisfy the traveler? And the identification of the traveler here is temptation. Temptation. Temptation visited David and David went out to serve it and to satisfy temptation. So the identification of the traveler is temptation. Now, <clears throat> that was all the introduction. Here's the message here. Here's the practical help. Here's the thing that will affect us every day. How to withstand temptation. And if you don't mind, I'd like to show you several biblical steps. Several biblical things that you should do. That you should do in your life. When you are faced with temptation to be able to withstand it. Why? Why are we so important? Because all sin is an insult to God. All sin is against God and all sin has consequences. Therefore, temptation is leading us to the place where we have a choice to sin against God. When that choice is standing before us and our flesh wants to sin, how can we say no? Well, if you don't mind, I want to be very practical tonight. And I want to give you some things here to help you to withstand temptation. And it doesn't matter what temptation. The temptation to complain. The temptation to gossip. The temptation to watch something you know you shouldn't watch. The temptation to lie. The temptation to deflect. The temptation to whatever. You name the sin. You should be able to withstand it. And there's some practical things to help you out. So if you don't mind the very first practical thing to deal with the idea how to withstand temptation. Number one is preventative maintenance. Preventative maintenance. 
And there are three specific things you can do as preventative maintenance to help you withstand temptation. So preventative maintenance. The very first thing, if you don't mind, and we're going to flip to a couple different passages in the Bible here. Notice if you don't mind, Matthew chapter number 26. Matthew chapter 26. As you're turning to Matthew 26, let me remind you that this is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus Christ is about ready to go to the cross. He's taken his 12 disciples and gone to the Mount of Olives to pray. He's put most of the disciples down together, but he's taken Peter, James, and John up with him to pray. And notice the instructions that Jesus gives to them in Matthew chapter 26. And notice with me in verse 41. Jesus said, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. So as we talk about preventative maintenance, how can we even prevent temptation to come? Watch and pray. Watch and pray. You can't get any clearer than that. Watch and pray. Why? That you enter not in temptation. The best way to withstand temptation is to work on your daily relationship with God. That means to be faithful in prayer. Be faithful in your Bible reading. Be faithful to the house of God. Be faithful to tithe. Be faithful in soul winning. Be, just work on your daily life. And as you're close to God, you will be spiritually strong enough to even not even be tempted when it comes. You understand there's some people that are not tempted with certain things. There are some people in this room who are not tempted to watch filthy videos on the internet. Why is that? Because you're trying to maintain a relationship with the Lord that's not even a temptation. Most of you aren't tempted to go across the street to the bar after service. Why is that not a temptation? Because you're trying to maintain a close friendship with the Lord. You're trying to be close with Him. And the closer you get with Him, there's going to be less things you are tempted on. To watch and to pray. To work on that relationship with God. It's interesting that it says of a king in 2 Chronicles chapter number 12 and verse 14. This is what it says. And he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. Why did he do evil? Because he didn't prepare his heart to do good. He didn't prepare his heart to seek God. Jesus said, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. So we understand that part of uh, avoiding temptation, withstanding temptation, is preventative maintenance. And the very first thing to kind of keep yourself from temptation, just to even avoid getting there in the first place, is to watch and to pray. To have that daily walk with God. To prepare your heart to seek with God. Spend time with Him. Prepare for that. To watch and to pray. What is another way of preventive maintenance? I said there was three different preventative maintenances you could do. First of all is to watch and pray. Notice if you don't mind a second thing of preventative maintenance. Loan us with me in the book of Psalm. Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We're trying to give you practical helps. How to withstand temptation. And the very first practical step is preventative maintenance. To prepare yourself not to even face temptation in the first place. We start off by watching and praying. But in Psalm 119, we see another preventative maintenance. This is bigger than what you think. Psalm 119, and notice with me in verse number 11. Psalm 119, verse number 11, the Bible says this. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against thee. If you are not in the habit of memorizing scripture, let me tell you, you are vulnerable to temptation. I'm trying to look out for you. I'm trying to help you avoid temptation. Thy word have I hid in my heart. That's memorizing it. That's placing it. Not head knowledge, but in here. It's not learning your verse uh, before a quiz the day before, an hour before. It's hiding it and putting it in there and keep putting it in there until it's in your heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against thee. This is preventative maintenance. Every Christian, 
needs to have a Bible memorization regimen. You should always be working on a memory verse. Why? Preventative maintenance. To keep you from sin in the first place. Every Christian needs to have a Bible memorization program. Because thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's a promise. That's a guarantee. You work on Bible memory and he'll keep you from finding temptation in the first place. There's a third preventative maintenance that we also find. Notice with me in the New Testament, the book of 1 Timothy chapter number 2. 1 Timothy chapter number 2. 1 Timothy chapter number 2. Again, we're trying to be very practical. We're trying to see where the rubber meets the road. We're not trying to hit things so high up and so theological and so out there that it's not a help to us. We're trying to hit where we're going to live. I'm trying to give you something so you could be protected tonight. I'm trying to give you something so you could be protected tomorrow. I'm trying to give you something so that way you could keep yourself on the path that you ought to be right with God and avoid the consequences that comes with sin. The first thing is preventative maintenance. Watch and pray, keeping your daily uh, (coughs) Bible reading right, your daily walk with God right. The Bible says to memorize scripture, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Notice this in 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter number 2. Scratch that, 2 Timothy chapter number 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. I'm sorry. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. And notice with me in verse number 22. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. Flee also youthful lust. Flee also youthful lust. What is the principle? Don't put yourself in a tempting situation to start off with. If you want to avoid temptation, don't show up where it's at. If someone has a hard time with alcohol, don't go near the bar. Sound simple? If you have a problem with pornography, don't go on the internet. Simple enough? If you have a problem with lying, avoid situations that make you lie. (laughs) If you have a problem with gossiping, Try to think of good things to talk about. Just avoid situations where you know you're going to be tempted. You know yourself. Stay away from those things. Stay away from them. So that's all preventative maintenance. But what happens when you're staring at temptation right in the face? What happens when you're staring it right in the face? What can you do then? Well, now we go to number two. First of all, it's preventative maintenance. How do we withstand temptation? Preventative maintenance, number two. Recognize temptation for what it is. Recognize temptation for what it is. Notice with me in the book of James. James in chapter number one. (laughs) Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. James in chapter number one. Recognize temptation for what it is. Notice with me James chapter 1. And notice with me starting at verse 14. James chapter 1 and verse 14. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and is enticed. So every man is tempted when he's drawn away from his own lust. So you need to recognize it for what it is. It's temptation. Uh, Go on, verse 15. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Part of the problem is that in the moment of temptation, we don't even recognize it as temptation. We don't recognize for what it is. It's kind of why preventative maintenance is so important. So that way we can spot it and say, wait a second. That's temptation. I'm being tempted now. I'm being tempted to sin. I'm being drawn to sin. How does temptation work, by the way? It starts off when you're enticed of your own lust. May I put it this way? It begins with a thought. And you think about it. And you think about it. Until that thought is conceived. Meaning that you actually perform it. You understand if you think about sin long enough. You will eventually do it. The people in the law enforcement community speak about that all the time. That before someone ever commits rape. 
They've been thinking about it for a while. You know, before anyone commits adultery, they've been thinking about it for a while. Before anybody lies, they're already starting to think about how to protect themselves from whatever they're trying to hide. Before anyone starts gossiping, they're already starting to think about what they don't like in their own brain. It begins with a thought. So when you're facing temptation, it's not necessarily a tangible thing as much as it is up here. And you have to know your own thought life. Know yourself. Recognize what you're thinking and why. Because if you continue to think over that thing, and then you'll act on it. Nobody stumbles into sin by accident. It's a purposeful choice. You thought about it. There was something in your brain where you said, should I do this or should I not? Even when you lie, you take a moment to think about what you're going to say. Unless you're such a habitual liar that you just can't help yourself, which then you've got other things that need to be fixed up here. There are some people who are natural complainers. They just complain because that's all they say. That's because they need to fix something up here. That's a preventative maintenance thing. But we're talking about when you come to a choice, it starts from up here. And you got to think about it. And you got to recognize what it is. Stop! No! Temptation. I'm being tempted to sin. I'm tempted to do something that's against God. So, how do we stand temptation? One, preventative maintenance. Number two, recognize temptation for what it is. Recognize it when you see it. Learn to see it and recognize it. Then number three, ask God for help. Some people put this very last. No, this should be the very first. Once you recognize what it is, ask God for help because none of you, none of us are strong enough to withstand temptation on our own. Our flesh is too weak. Notice with me, if you don't mind, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And let me show you one of the most misinterpreted verses in all of the word of God concerning Christians. This verse is constantly, constantly misused. Whenever doing research and finding anything on temptation, I can't recall how many times someone misused this verse. Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10, and notice with me in verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Verse number 13 is one of the most important scriptures dealing with spiritual warfare, dealing with temptation. It says there's no temptation that's not common to man, meaning that everyone's tempted. Temptation's common. But guess what? Even though you're going to face everything, God's not leaving you alone. Now, some people will say this verse teaches that God will not give you more than you can handle. That is a lie, and that's not what this verse teaches. This verse teaches that God will more often than not give you more than you can handle, but with that temptation, give you a way of escape. You know what that means? You can't handle the temptation by yourself. You understand why people can't quit smoking? Because they can't do it by themselves. Why can't people quit drinking? They can't do it by themselves. Why can't people stop doing drugs? They can't do it by themselves. Why can't people stop looking at pornography? They can't do it by themselves. Why can't they stop their addiction no matter how benign it is? They cannot do it by themselves. Your flesh is not strong enough. But with that temptation, he will give you a way of escape. What is a way of escape? Jesus. The next thing you do, once you recognize that's temptation, pray. Now, let's be very real. <laughs> People don't talk about the process of temptation. It's just, you know, we don't do that. You don't have your normal conversation and say, hey, let me tell you how I was tempted today. It's not normal conversation. But let me just be frank with you. Let's say that you're by yourself and there's a temptation. It's a sin, addiction, whatever it is, and you know about it. And you're staring at it right in the face. You've already failed one. 
because you're thinking about it and you're looking at it. And you want it so bad. You want to. You know that you shouldn't, but you want to. And you could feel the fight going on and you start talking to yourself about it. You know what? I could do it and it's all right. I got time. And you start talking to yourself about it. Again, you don't have to nod your heads, but this is the fight. And you'll stare at it and look at it from a couple different angles, trying to talk yourself into it or trying to talk yourself out of it, but you're not doing a good job. And you stare at the thing and, and you think about that sin for a while. I mean, the sin only takes a second. But you're looking at it. Now, I'm, it may not be adultery. It may be something small and benign, but you know you shouldn't. But you stare at it. You think about it. You just kind of contemplate it. You wonder about it. It could be something about complaining. You're complaining in your mind and you're looking at that person that's bothering you so much and you're thinking about it and you walk at it and you look at it and you just, you're talking to yourself about it and you, whatever it is, whatever it is, you know you've had that conversation. You're staring at it in the face. Ask God for help immediately. You want to know why you're not going to ask God for help? Because you want that sin. You want it. That's why you need to ask God for it. Because you are not strong enough to withstand it yourself. You are not capable. As soon as you realize that. That God is your only hope. You should run to God. God I know. If just a couple more minutes. I will jump into that sin. And I'll feel guilty afterwards. But I'm going to jump into that sin. God, I need help. Be honest with him. Tell him, I'm struggling, God. I want that. You know why we sin, by the way? Because we want it. Because we like it. I have a preacher friend of mine who has a message. I like sin. And so do you. If we didn't like sin, we wouldn't do it. That's the problem. You look at it and you want it. You want to sin. You want to complain. You want to watch that video. You want to have that thought. You want that piece of chocolate. You want whatever you're supposed to. I say that because we know people who are diabetic. Who's not supposed to have chocolate. And they stare at that thing and they want it and they desire it. Same thing. It doesn't matter what it is. Something benign like a piece of chocolate or something horrible like a gross sin. It doesn't matter what it is. You stare at it and you start talking to it. The next thing you do once you recognize what it is is to go to God and pray. He is your way of escape. Run to God quickly and ask for help. Realizing that you're too weak to handle it yourself. So we're coming to it. How do we withstand temptation? Preventative maintenance. Number two, recognizing it for what it is. Number three, <coughs> ask God for help. Number four, quote scripture. Number four, quote scripture. Remember Jesus Christ was sent to the wilderness to be tempted of Satan. There he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Why did he do that, by the way? To make the flesh weak. So he knew that he had to depend on God. You are always vulnerable when you're tired, hungry, and hurting. That's when you're the most vulnerable. But that's not an excuse to give in to temptation. And that's why Jesus was in there. He, was, he had a human body and he felt the same things that you and I did. And every time Satan tempted him, you know what he said? Thus it is written. As it is written. As it is written. He quoted scripture. By the way, where did he get the scripture from? Did he out in the middle of the desert pull out his Bible? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's why you memorize it so you could pull it up and use it. So when you're staring temptation in the face, you bring up those scriptures that you've already brought up so you could use it in that time. Because let me tell you, if you're taking the time to stare at temptation and you're losing the battle, you are not going to go grab your Bible right then and there. Because you already know, well, God's going to win. And you don't want God to win. That's the whole thing with temptation. Quote scripture. Number five. Again we're trying to be very practical. Preventative maintenance. Recognize temptation for what it is. Ask God for help. Quote scripture. A fifth way that we could protect, withstand, keep ourselves from temptation. Is to recognize barriers that God placed between you and sin. 
Recognize the barriers that God placed between you and sin. And the book of Hosea, chapter number 2, we're not going to turn there, but in Hosea chapter 2, Hosea has a wife named Gomer who has ran off from him. And she is now shacking up with someone else. And Hosea prays this, that God would put a hedge of thorns around her. He would put up a wall around her so that way she can't go any further. So that way she would be stopped from sinning anymore. He put a barrier. You understand there are many times that God places a barrier between you and sin. And if you are honest, so many times when we sin, we have to go around those obstacles to get to the sin. Someone's addicted to pornography. In order to watch that, they have to turn on their computer. They have to go to a website. They have, there's so many things that they have to do to get to that place. At any time, they could have recognized, hey, wait, you know what? There's probably a reason why it's not as easy to get to. Now, we know it's plenty of easy, but there's plenty of steps to get to that thing where they're thinking in their mind, I am going to get to this thing, and they have to go through those barriers. There are many times that God places barriers in your life. Recognize those are barriers that God is saying a big keep out. And he's trying to help you to say no by putting those barriers in front of you. Recognize those barriers. And by the way, part of preventive maintenance, put some barriers in there for you. If I could be practical, <laughs> I have all my computers facing in a direction where my wife can see them at home. At any time, she can look at them. That's a barrier. So that way, she could come in any time and sneak behind me and see what I'm working on. That's on purpose. That's a barrier. There's accountability. There's different things you can do to put more barriers up. But recognize those barriers are good. Those are guardrails. They keep you from falling off the cliff. Those are what standards are for. Those are what other things are for. I will not go to this place. Why? Because I don't want you to be tempted. That's what parents do to their kids. They put guardrails. Why is that obstacle there? Why do you have to be in the house and in bed by 9 o'clock? For your protection. Not because I'm being mean. I'm trying to protect you. Why can't you go to a friend's house? Not, don't you trust me? I don't trust sin. Why can't I have a cell phone? Because I don't trust sin. Not because I don't trust you. I don't trust sin. You understand? Those are barriers that are placed. And those barriers are set there for God, for your protection, to get you to say, stop. Think about what you're doing. Don't go any further. Something else, if you don't mind. We're looking at different ways to withstand temptation. Preventative maintenance. Recognize sin for what it is. Temptation for what it is. Ask God for help. Quote scripture. Recognize the barriers that God places between you and them. Number six. Remember sin is a conscious choice if you are saved. <laughs> Remember sin is a conscious choice if you are saved. Meaning that if you're saved, you don't have to sin. Sin no longer has power over you. Anytime that you sin, it is a choice. Notice with me the, first, the book of 1 John chapter number 4. 1 John in chapter number 4. I'm trying to be a help tonight. We're trying to be practical and we're trying to hit a very hard subject. But you understand you're going to face temptation tomorrow. You may even face it tonight. How are you going to withstand it? How are you going to get the victory? We're trying to help you now. 1 John chapter 4. And notice with me in verse 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, your Savior, God lives inside of you. And greater is he that is in us than anything we could face in the world. Jesus is greater than that temptation. You have to recognize that you are going against even Christ living within you to sin. 
You're doing it as a conscious choice because you don't have to. God has enabled us not to sin by the power of his Holy Spirit. We can have the help if we wanted to. We could have said, God, help me not to do this sin. And he would help us. But we said, no, I want this sin. I'm not going to ask God for this help. I'm going to do it anyways. There was a conscious choice to bypass God. And you didn't have to sin. And you didn't have to sin. If you don't mind, there's one more thing. One more practical help that we could give to you here. Grab accountability immediately. Grab accountability immediately. As your flesh becomes weak and you have a hard time looking towards God in temptation, then grab a physical friend. Call a friend. Go visit them. Do something. But have accountability. Have someone that you trust and that cares for you that you can call and say, I'm struggling I need help. I want this. Have someone that you could talk with honestly. And everyone should have someone that they could talk to honestly. Someone that they could say, I'm struggling. And the person's not making fun of them or laughing at them. Because they, they're realistic. They understand they're struggling. And they care enough to say, hey, let me help you. If you're struggling with this, talk to me. You understand? There are days that we want to be in the flesh. You can be honest. I want to be in the flesh. I know I shouldn't, but I want to be. Have someone that you could talk to about that and say, hey, I'm just letting you know I want to be in the flesh today. Talk with them. Hey, I'm letting you know I'm struggling with this. Have someone that you could talk with. Have accountability. Have something. Have, you know, <laughs> the wonderful thing about technology today is that there's more technology to do the technology. There are so many apps that if someone's struggling with uh, pornography... There's an app that, will that you could hook up to all of their computers and devices that will tell you if they're looking at something they're not supposed to. You say, but I want privacy. No, you want protection. Amen. Have someone that you love that is able to look at stuff. For example, my wife is able to look through all my browser histories through anything, anytime that she wants. Why? So that way I have accountability. I don't know when she's going to look or what she's going to look, but she has all availability anytime to look at any of my stuff. She take my phone, look at all my messages to see who I'm messaging, who I'm talking to. Not that we're breaking confidence, but she has ever, I have nothing to hide. Why? I want that accountability. I want someone looking over me. I want someone that cares enough for me that will ask and see how I'm doing. We understand with accountability it has to be permission, but you know, there's nothing wrong if you're struggling with someone. If you're saying, I have a problem with complaining. Can you help me with that? Sure. And then every time um, that person starts complaining, have a flag, have a single. You could be in a conversation and just kind of raise your hand up and think, oh, little things. Those things help. Those things are protection. Have some sort of accountability in place. And when you're facing temptation and you know that you're weak, have someone, something that you could go to immediately and say, I'm struggling. I want this more than you know. But just talking to someone is able to talk you off the ledge. These are practical helps. And the reason why I'm saying that is because every single one of us struggle with sin. Every single one of us struggle with sin. We need to know how to stop sinning. How to keep to the place where we're not falling into that temptation over and over. There's nothing more miserable in a Christian's life than when you fall in the same sin over and over and over and over. Especially since you don't have to. Here are seven practical biblical steps. By the way, the verse for this was... Um, James 5.16, you don't have to turn there, but that was the confess your faults one to another. <coughs> These are practical things. You will face temptation. Before the week's end, you will face temptation. You know what you struggle with, and we all struggle with different things. But you don't have to sin. But you need to recognize that when you do sin, it's against God. And it's an insult to God, and it hurts God. And all sin has consequences, whether you see it or not. This is something important. This is something necessary. This is something practical. But this is something we want to be a help 
because we want every one of us to have victory in our Christian lives. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.